Welcome back, everybody. This is the Changelog. We're a member-supported blog and podcast that covers what's fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com and our past shows at 5x5.tv slash changelog. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stikovac, and also Andrew Thorpe. Andrew, say hello. Hey, how's it going? Fabuloso. I just want to say that on air. That's, that's so awesome. <laughs> you can tune in live to the show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on 5x5. And today, uh, we're joined by two awesome fellas. This is episode number 99. Whoa. And, and we're, yeah, 99, right? Yeah. And we're joined by Jeff Lindsay and Jonathan Rittenberg. Jeff has worked on projects like Local Tunnel, Request Bin, and Get Creative. Or, sorry, Get Receive, not Get Creative, but I'm sure that's creative. <laughs> Jonathan is one of the two designers behind Tent Protocol, and together they are building Flynn, which is an open-sourced platform as a service, which is powered by Docker. So if you've listened to, what was that? Episode number, Andrew. The, the uh, I think it was, was 94, but I, 94. that's could be wrong. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. Don't hold us to that. But nonetheless, welcome to the show, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm a big fan. That was the most dramatic, crazy intro ever on the changelog. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long-winded intro. I don't like them. I'm never doing it again. So, Jeff, Jonathan, you guys have uh, kind of teamed up on this new project it's kind of unique the way you've uh, you've done it. Uh, we, the change law, gave a little bit of money too. We didn't quite give as much as some of the suggestions, but we did give a little bit. Um, but I, I think it. it's pretty neat. So yeah, uh, we wanted to have you guys on the show talk about what uh, an open source platform as a service means, and I guess maybe key off of some of the conversations we had around Docker too. It might make sense uh, if you guys just kind of wanted to give us a kind of a intro to who each of you are and your background. Um, and we can talk about some of the other projects you worked on and jump into Flynn. Sure. I'll let Jeff go first. Oh, um, I am sort of a rogue engineer, um, consultant now I've, uh, I worked at Twilio for a little while, but that was sort of my only full-time job um most of the time i'm doing open source stuff um i popularized webhooks uh back in the day and uh um i've done a startup i've done all, all kinds of stuff mostly writing lots of open source software that nobody knows about your progrium on twitter yeah uh, if people don't know the name jeff Lindsay, it probably more familiar with progrium so on github you have a lot of uh open source kind of behind your name, so we'll definitely want to jump into that, but Jonathan, why don't you give us a little intro? Yeah, um, so I've been a developer for a while. I started at Shopify in my, like, professional career. Before that, I did a little bit of, like, Rails consulting here and there, and um, then I kind of moved to doing this thing called Tent, uh, which is actually a protocol, not a piece of software. There's reference software uh, that implements it. And I'm largely interested in all things um, related to servers and um, and m- more on the like server side stuff. So I built lots of random open source software on GitHub. Um, a while back, I did this thing called Mailman, which is a Ruby gem that uh, essentially handles incoming email. Um, so doing Ruby and Go lately. Oh, you wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Why don't you give us a little bit of an intro to Tent? I think this is neat. Um, not something we talk about a lot on the show, uh, protocols and things like that, but why don't you kind of give us an intro to what Tent is and, and where it came from? Sure. So Tent is a protocol for personal data storage and decentralized communication. Um, so it presents just as like a JSON uh, protocol on top of HTTP, um, just kind of using RESTful verbs, et cetera. And essentially what you do is you pass around posts. So you have a server that represents you as a user, and then you have applications that talk to that server, similar to how you'd like authenticate an app with Twitter. You just use OAuth. And then your applications can create these JSON posts on the server, and your server sends those posts to other people's servers, or perhaps they're private and it just stores them on the server. And then uh, you can create anything with Tent from, like, Twitter to Facebook. You could even do Dropbox because you can store binary attachments along with the posts. Uh, so it's essentially just evented data in a server, very simple, like, RESTful access to it. Um, and it's it ends up being really flexible. We created it as a sort of alternative to all of the centralized platforms um, that exist these days. Think Google, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Is it... 
have you seen any you know big projects kind of adopt this protocol so it's it's still very new um we are uh we're on coming up on version 0.3 of the protocol um and we haven't re- been really doing an adoption push yet because we're still like developing the protocol and sorting out what should be in the 1.0 um so we have like a microblogging app that we've host um and we do like uh tent hosting kind of i've kind of started a startup um on the side, uh, myself and a few others who work on the protocol. And, um, so we're doing that as tent hosting and then, um, and others have built, uh, some like mobile apps and desktop apps that mostly just do microblogging at this point, but there's cool new stuff coming. What goes into like, uh, I don't know when you're, you know, if you're working on a piece of software and you sit down and you think you have feature requests or features and bugs and, you know, different pieces that you have to plan out and, and build what goes into like a, a i don't know planning session when when creating a protocol um it's a lot of like brainstorming on a whiteboard essentially just kind of like talking through use cases and sorting out it's we we try to do lately we've been trying to do like use case driven development where uh we don't actually add a feature to the protocol unless um we actually have an application that either like has a, a need for it or we are like uh, about to make an application that needs it uh, because otherwise you end up with like weird things that you think you're going to need but that you don't actually need uh, and so it's just it requires a lot more thought than your typical software project because you can like slash out features really easily but with a protocol it's really hard to take features out uh, 0.3 was actually a completely breaking release um, we were changing just about everything about the protocol from what we learned with the the past, I don't know, eight months or so of the protocol being in kind of production with a bunch of uh, nodes on the network kind of talking to each other. The thing that I liked about the project uh, when I first heard about it was how kind of it took the evented web ideas and like webhooks as like a core concept in it. Um, Because other than things like PubSub, Hubbub, I hadn't really seen those kinds of HTTP callbacks used in, um, you know, more of a standard yeah, it's entirely push-driven. So when you uh, create a post, like, for instance, like a status post, which is our equivalent to, like, a Twitter post, um, it actually your server will then push that uh, post out via webhooks to all of your subscribers that are permitted to see the post. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, like, near real-time. You wouldn't want to do IM over it necessarily, but, you know, within a few seconds, all of your followers have gotten the posts. Yeah, so it's interesting, kind of, you can see, you know, where you two kind of got together, and you both have a, as you said, uh, Jeff, you both have a kind of a passion for, like, the evented web, so you you kind of, you wrote the, or you, I don't know what the best way to put it is, but you basically, you know, popularized the webhook pattern, and, and you know, it's been kind of adopted by Google, GitHub, you know, like, everybody, Um what kind of sparked you to create that? When when did you write about that, and where did that come from? Um, I was doing a startup at the time called DevJavu, and it was basically a hosted track in SVN, but as a product. So it wasn't like here's some free hosting or here's like shared hosting with like track and SVN tacked on. It was like as a product, um, and I. During that time, I was trying to figure out how to expose um, SVN hooks uh, via HTTP, and it just made sense to do hooks as HTTP, and you put in a URL, and then when the hook triggers, it would call that URL. And then just all of a sudden, I realized, wow, you know, I, I guess there was one reference before that that was kind of popular, which was the PayPal IPN. So that was the real only good example I had to go from because nobody else was really doing it. And I was like, well, you can do all kinds of stuff with this. You can do you know, all kinds of real-time. It wasn't just that you get real-time and that you get push. It was that any web developer can handle it. Like if you can write a PHP script, you, know, you could handle a webhook. And um, so I started kind of raving about it to everybody and nobody really got it and I just kept doing it um, and eventually people started getting it and started using them and seeing oh this is actually really cool um, so and then I made a bunch of adapters um, I made the first I think one of the first things that I wrote was called mailhooks or mailhook.org I think it's still online but it doesn't work but the idea was again kind of like mailman it would do HTTP uh, SMTP to HTTP so incoming, you'd get, you'd go to the site, get an email address, 
associate with a URL, and then when, e when email comes in, it would do all the parsing for you and post it to your URL, like it was a form post, which is makes handling incoming email, email super trivial, um, no matter what language you're using. Um, you just have to be a web developer and know how to handle a post. Yeah, it's hard to imagine the like modern software development world without webhooks. When I mean, all of the services that you know your typical developer uses are all integrated through these webhooks, and I mean, it's it's pretty cool that you kind of pioneered that that road, and you can kind of see then is is that you know the idea of that intent is that how you two kind of got together and and started talking about Flynn, or, or did you guys meet each other some other way? Uh, we met through a mutual friend uh, who's actually uh, one of the co-designers of the tent protocol and um we share a lot of similar interests we've been talking about past stuff for i don't know quite a while now um kind of like we want to do something that looks like flynn uh and just recently we decided to actually go in and do it yeah daniel um and i think i met him either at a super Epi dev house i think it was a dev house event which don't don't really happen anymore, but used to be big back in the day. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, real quick, we don't have a ton of time to talk about each individual project um, and then also talk about Flynn, but why don't you give us a little kind of, I don't know, maybe an intro and just a little bit about a few of these projects, um, Local Tunnel being the first. Um, so a lot of my work re revolves around making developer tools, um, which is an interesting kind of place to be in, especially when you kind of have this sort of desire to create consumer-like products, you know, and where you consider uh, ease of use and simplicity and all this stuff, and most developers just want to solve a problem. Because um, when I came out with Local Tunnel, um, there was really nothing like it, and now there's a whole bunch of stuff. But the idea was, well... You know, I do this a lot using SSH tunnels. Wouldn't it be great if I could just say local tunnel 8000 and expose that port to the internet? Um, I did a bunch of prototypes and finally got a version that worked. Um, and uh, it it just kind of slowly started taking off. And now there's all you know, people building businesses around similar ideas and stuff like that. But uh, it was just about taking that. Um, a lot of what I do is about usually making... Um, a more complicated uh, thing, simpler and more accessible to people. It's kind of seems to be like a common pattern. Like Docker, I was involved in Docker for a little bit in the really early before it was open source, and you know, in a way, it's sort of about making containers more accessible and more useful right. to people. Yeah, one of our coworkers actually at uh, Adam and mine day job at Pure Charity is is working on something similar to local tunnel called Portly, and it's you know same idea, being able to publish your local. Uh, you know what you're working on locally. So, the to me the big probably thing that sticks out about local tunnel and one of the reasons why I never actually covered it on the changelog. We we talked about we went back and forth a lot. Is from version one to version two, you went from Ruby to Python. Um, yeah. Would you actually, kind of actually, explain? Well, Sorry? yeah. the The server was always in Python. The server was written in. It sort of bootstrapped off of SSHD and then had a twisted um, kind of server side component. But the client was Ruby, but the client was really just like an SSH client. Like all I did was wrap an SSH library. Um, and uh, I'm I'm not too much of a, um, I really like building tools that are kind of community agnostic. Um, so, you know, a lot, you know, HTTP is something that, you know, every community knows how to work with. Um, and so it was kind of, a weird thing to have like the client in Ruby and the and the server in Python. Um, to me, it didn't matter, but now I've kind of seen that it, it it makes a big difference. You know, when you start a project, what language you use and what effect that has on what kind of um, responses it gets and what kind of people are willing to contribute to it. Um, so the yeah, I started a version two that was written entirely in Python just because I sort of use Python more, and I had to write more code because I wasn't I didn't want to depend on SSHD anymore because it was kind of this big complicated black box and people would create tunnels and sometimes it would the SSHD processes would hang and I have no idea what's going on so um, I wanted to create a simple protocol and so running more code I you know wrote it in Python um, 
and that's kind of been in this weird kind of active development uh, stage for a while. And a couple of people are running it. Um, it's not actually running right now, uh, but a couple of people run their own instances like RunScope. Um, they actually recently took one of my projects, uh, RequestBin, and are sort of taking it to the next level while keeping it open source. So it's I'm glad it has like a new home. Um, but what's, what's happened actually is a friend of mine has written you know, I eventually wanted to rewrite a local tunnel in Go. So I told a friend of mine that I wanted to do that. And so he went off and kind of wrote a Go version of it while we were both working at Twilio. And he kept hacking on it. Um, and eventually he released it as ngrok. And so it's basically the exact same kind of architecture and model as the new local tunnel, um, except it's actually a lot better. So very recently, we actually, um, when people complain about like local tunnels not running or it's not working for me, I say, well, go check out ngrok because um, it's what local tunnel should be. <laughs> and we actually just recently um, have decided we're actually creating like there's actually a V3 branch in local tunnel now that is basically just going to be ngrok. We are more or less merging projects. Gotcha. So you then now it'll be written in Go. So you're a language, uh, you're a dynamic language adapter. Yeah, I mean, I usually pick, uh, stick with one thing, but I'm pretty flexible. Gotcha. You talked about RequestBin a little bit. Uh, that's another project you worked on. What What is RequestBin? So, uh, you know, thinking about webhooks and this ideal of like the evented web led to a lot of stuff like local tunnel, you know, because that was the idea is if I write a, a webhook script, it has to be accessible on the internet. So if I want to develop it locally, I need to expose it to the internet. So that led to local tunnel. Another thing was, is if I use a site that has, um, you know, takes URLs for um, for webhook requests, I want to, um, it's actually pretty easy to, you know, they don't really need to document their payload if I can just see some examples. So the idea was if I create uh, a site where I can just get a URL to use, um, and give them that URL and they post to it. And then I can go to a similar URL to see what they posted in sort of a nicely formatted way. Um, that would become a very useful debugging tool for webhooks. It turned out to be a more generally useful tool, just like local tunnel, um, to just inspect HTTP requests. Like if you want to try a client and see what kind of headers it sends by default, you can just point it to uh, a rec- request bin. Um, and so, and I think there's been some similar clones of that too, but, uh, but I'm I'm excited about what RunScope's going to do with it because they've given it a new design and all this great stuff. So yeah, it's cool. So it's, it seems like you kind of I don't you may have alluded to this a little bit before, but it seems like you kind of write uh, the first version of software and then someone else takes it and runs with it as their full time thing when you move on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean you you kind of have to. It's even worse though with services because um, when you're writing open source software uh, like a library or an application, you can kind of you know, write it and get it to maybe a stable point and maybe you've developed a community and you can kind of, you know, let somebody else become a maintainer and move on. Um, but when you run something as a service, like a free local tunnel server or request bin or these things, um, it starts to get very difficult because somebody has to run operations on it and pay for it. And actually, this this is actually the very start of the kernel of the idea for my how I sort of started thinking about what Flynn is, finally, was back in 2008 when I was thinking about webhooks and building these kind of lightweight adapter services like mail hooks. And I made a bunch of other ones, one called ClickHooks, where, um, and I th- think this still works because it's on running on App Engine, clickhooks.org. It's like a URL shortener where you put in a URL to redirect to, and then you get another URL. But when you click that URL, it also triggers a webhook. So for a while I was using that too. I wrapped my uh, subscribe to my blog link in that and then had it post to a service that I previously used to run called Notify.io that would give me a growl notification when anybody, anybody clicked that link. Um, so I, I, um, the idea though was I want to run a lot of these services, but unlike a regular open source project, I can't just like hand it off. Like there's money involved and all this stuff. And so the idea was things like App Engine just blew me away because I was like, okay, it's a lot easier. Operations is now a lot simpler. Um, the cost model is a lot simpler, um, you know, and more efficient, effective, cost effective. And uh, so I was in love with App Engine, and then I was in love with Heroku, and so that led to this uh, this love of platform services. And then when I was at Twilio, we kind of realized the thing was I was always butting heads against like what 
they would let you do. For example, I say Heroku would be 10 times more useful if they just didn't have their HTTP router, because then you could run anything. You could run mail servers. You could do all kinds of stuff, um, because it's a very general platform at its core. And so that's a lot of these ideas. And actually, I was hired by uh, some friends at NASA um, when they were working on what became OpenStack to basically build the original vision for OpenStack was actually um, not just like an EC2 clone and an S3 clone, these things. It would actually have a platform as a service layer. But it turned out that it was really difficult to do that first lower level layer. And so I never actually got to building it, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it while I was there. So I've just been thinking about this platform stuff for years um, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so, I, you know, when I got to the end of my time at Twilio, I kind of had some good ideas. Like I had basically sketched out the idea of Docker and I just happened to run into Solomon. He's like, oh, you know, we're, we're doing the same. So we collaborated on that. And um, and that was just like a means to building something like Flynn. Yeah, Flynn is a, is a pretty neat thing. I mean, coming from the love of Heroku and obviously uh, App Engine and that, I mean, getting that experience with the platform, um, and then I, I guess just serendipitously being involved with Solomon in, in the early days of, of Docker. Um, when did Flynn come around then, I guess? When did you guys actually start collaborating on it and thinking things through and starting to, to I guess, even flesh out the idea of raising money to make this you know, kind of community-supported but still open source? So we started talking about it, I guess, last year sometime, but it was like, this is something we need to do soon. Um, it was We didn't really have time to do it at the time. And uh, just recently, uh, I was talking to uh, my former employer, Shopify, and I was like, hey, I really want to do this thing. Do you want to sponsor it? And um, Toby, CEO of Shopify, was actually, yeah, totally. Um, We'd love to sponsor it. Um, And then we were talking about it more, and uh, we thought that there might be some other companies that would be interested in sponsoring it. We didn't think there'd be that that many that would just up and give us cash right out without knowing us. Um, but we put up a site with the Stripe button and uh, it turned out to get way, way more money than we were expecting um, without doing much sales, I guess. Yeah, I know right now you're sitting at 108% funded, so that's $80,713 of the 75000 you guys intended to raise. What was the, I guess, the impetus around determining how much money to raise? Um, it's kind of a lowball estimate of what it would cost for us to spend six months building Flynn, myself mostly full-time, and Jeff um, close to full-time. Yeah, part-time. So you mentioned Shopify. You got quite a few other, um, and we can name them all if you want to, but uh, just some logos that look nice that stand out to me, like Lab Division, Nebula, Local local Web. Are these friends of yours, or they just kind of come out of the woodwork and like, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll support Flynn? A few are friends. Most of them just like found it through the Hacker News article and Twitter and just out of the blue decided to support Flynn, I guess, after reading the docs and, you know, shooting a few emails, talking in IRC, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we talk about on the show a lot is sustainability. So I noticed that you um, you kind of have, you know, $75,000 was the goal and uh, the when will it be ready frequently asked question kind of says it's like six months so after six months um in terms of you know funding or or next steps what's the what's the kind of like the goal for flynn at that point um so in six months we hope to have something that's like runnable as like an internal service at companies for for perhaps running their internal services like um most of the companies I've interacted with um, of any size have a bunch of tiny little internal apps um, from things like dashboards to like employee directories and the whole gamut of other stuff. Um, so you should be able to run those types of services, basically like your Heroku, like 12 factor apps. Um, and then after that, well, it's just one step at a time. Do you think, do you foresee yourself working on this full time or, or would you, you know, go to another project type of a thing? Um, so my time is split between this and Tent, and that's all I've been working on and will be working on for the foreseeable future. Gotcha. It's cool. The The second frequently asked question is, is it open source? And, and your answer is 100%. It's it's really cool to see um, how passionate you are to, like, you know, ensure that this is going to, st- like, be and remain open source. What's the driving reason for that for you? 
Um, the thing is, is that from what I've seen, there's a lot of companies that either need this or are building a version of this right now. And for it not to be open source, for it just to be like one company's internal tool really sucks for the rest of us because then we have to build it. So I think that if a few people step up to build something that everyone needs, then that just saves everyone a lot of time. You mentioned that uh, you guys, I guess, had early relationships with, with Solomon and Docker. And and since we're talking about FAQs, it says, how is it related to Docker? And uh, you say that uh, you've been working with the Cloud team on Docker since before its public launch to make sure it was suitable for this project. So it sounds like you know, maybe early days of Docker, you knew about Flynn. Yeah, I mean, so when I was, and, and, you know, Docker has become so much more than I could have ever hoped. And, you know, it's really part of Solomon's vision. Um, and it just so happens that our visions uh, align so much for that tool. But I, you know, really what I wanted when I was at Twilio and I was trying to think, well, we're trying, so my second year at Twilio became focused on what we call the platform team, which we wanted our ideal product of that team to basically be an internal uh, platform that the, the rest of the developers could use to, to build all these services. Uh, Twilio is actually a very highly service-oriented architecture, with 200 different types of services. Um, and uh, so trying to make uh, that experience for developers and operations um, both consistent and you know an enjoyable experience. We wanted something like Heroku. We couldn't use Heroku um, because we're doing more than HTTP, and we want to have control over how the scheduler works because of you know various whatever our SLA policies are and stuff like that. Um, so it really became clear we needed to build our own. And since then, I've heard lots of companies, um, uh, like Jonathan was saying, that, that want to do the same thing. And uh, so at, at the end of the, my time there, I was like, well, the, really the first component is probably like a dyno manager, like something the equivalent of the Heroku dyno, which is more or less a high-level container made for, mostly made for services. But really, once you have that primitive, you can do a lot of different stuff with it. And uh, so I kind of sketched that out with the idea that it is part of this bigger uh, puzzle of this platform. Um, really a framework or like I really like building tools that are sort of really kind of independently useful components sort of that Unix philosophy of doing one thing that works well um, that does one thing well and works with other components and so that was kind of a differentiating concept that we had going into Flynn is making a system that you know is components but isn't just a monolithic set of components um, but is actually a uh, basically a set of independently useful components. So for example, if we get receive, which is sort of an early version of, uh, you know, the type of thing that we would have for like a Git front end for, for Flynn, um, that's independently useful because you can use it to wrap, you know, any other kind of Git based workflow type of thing. You can push a repository to it and it'll run a, a shell script. Um, and so you can use that to do all kinds of, you can have, use it to put Git in front of App Engine and be able to deploy to App Engine via Git. Um, so Docker was one of these many components. Um, it was just one of the most important ones. And so I did go into working with Solomon to, to make sure that it met these requirements. And I you know, continue to push um, still to make sure that Docker meets the requirements for these sort of things um, for, for a system like Flynn. And um, I hope that that can be replicated for all the components so we can find you know, if we're building it for Flynn, we can get somebody else to use the component for something completely different to ensure that it is, you know, general enough um, and simple enough, you know, but simple enough to satisfy both uses. So let's kind of fill in the blanks real quick. Why don't you give us like the pitch for Flynn, you know, the, the what Flynn is in a, in a sentence for somebody that's never heard of it. Um, Jonathan? Sure. Uh, so... Flynn uh, is a set of building blocks that, when uh, put together in their default configuration, presents a lot like Heroku. So you're just doing like Git pushing apps, and then a build pack deploys it. But at a at a lower level, it's um, managing just containers with Unix services in them across a cluster. And then each of the building blocks that are used Flynn uh, used to build Flynn can be um, uh, replaced or reused. Um, so it's a, it's a modular system. It's extensible. Um, and it doesn't uh, doesn't require you to use it in its default configuration. 
So Flynn out of the box, you could think of like a Flynn distribution is all these components made together, made to come out of the box, work like your own private Heroku. But for example, like I said, Heroku, you get you know an HTTP router, and maybe that HTTP router supports things like WebSockets, or maybe it doesn't. Ours will, um, but you you might want to remove the router completely because you're going to be doing other stuff, or you might want to replace the router with your own router. Um, and so we really want to make sure that this is very you know again that component philosophy is you can recombine these things or replace things, and a lot of these components are running in sort of a core. Uh, Flynn, um, you know, lower level platform. And so a lot of these components run in Flynn itself. And so you can replace them and deploy them in, in the same way you would your apps that you run on it. Gotcha. Do you have like a high level, you know, f- from 20,000 feet, like what the, where do you make the separation of the modules and, and, you know, the, like your default set, uh, you, you, like you said, the router is interchangeable. You can put a different router in there, or you can take it out, or whatever. Do you kind of have the plan for like where, what pieces are interchangeable, and where you make that distinction at? We have uh, sort of this high-level architecture of the, of the problems that we need to solve. Things like the router, the scheduler, um, and you know the, the Git front end and the management API and all these things, but. Um, when you get into actually solving those problems, you end up realizing, oh, well, this can be solved with a simpler component or, um, or a, you know, a set of these components. And so really, as you go into those problems, try and break them down um, into smaller, simpler components and, and problems that you're trying to solve. Um, and so it's kind of a iterative discovery process. Um, and so there's both high-level and low-level kind of concepts of how this breaks down into components. You know, one of our – I mentioned earlier in the show that we supported Flynn, and we kind of immediately blogged about it and featured on the changelog. And uh, one of the followers of the changelog, Mark Jellen, who is also a platform-as-a-service advocate, kind of tweeted back to us and said that – I guess just the way we worded our, our tweet, like, support Flynn to help make it uh, pass open source. And he replied, uh, there are at least two perfectly good open source platform as a service uh, projects, why do you act as, as, as there's none? And then also on your, uh, on your, on your FAQs, there's a, a mention of Cloud Foundry, Open, OpenShift, and a couple others that are mentioned. And can you just kind of contrast what the differences are, I guess, between what Flynn aims to do and what others have tried to do or are doing? Um, so from the beginning, like, for example, App Engine, it came out and it was super useful but it's very constrained to sort of this paradigm of web apps. And Heroku and DotCloud, actually, because they kind of, in parallel, um, sort of follow the same development path in a lot of ways, generalize that. So you, it's really about just running a Unix process as a service. Um, but they're still based on deploying web apps and all their conventions and you know the HTTP router and all this. And... Um, and even though they've made progress, App Engine is still, you know, very much focused on web apps, and they've kind of hacked a, a bunch of extra features to make it a little bit more. But it's still like the way it was designed originally is still focused on web apps. And I think a lot of the open source um, projects that are trying to solve this platform service uh, problem are sort of similar. You know, they they're um, still geared a little bit too much um, towards web applications. Um, to be useful for me. Um, another one, because I've done Cloud Foundry consulting, and, um, you know, there's just, you know, they, uh, I don't want to sp- speak, f- you know, for all of them, but, you know, many of them are, uh, they try and break them down into components, but they're still this sort of monolithic uh, beast. It's very complicated, and, you know, each of the components isn't very well documented, and it becomes very difficult to deploy the thing. And so that kind of user experience is something that we want to, um, you know, try and make uh, much better. So the out-of-the-box experience is, is much better, but you still have that hackability. You can drill down and actually, you know, pretty easily kind of see how everything works together and start hacking it and taking it, taking it apart um, and doing whatever you want with it. And so to me, actually, it's not so much about building a platform service. Um, it's about building a uh, 
tools for building your own platform or your own distri- – really, it's a toolkit for building distributed systems. Yeah, it sounds like the, the key words that you're, you're saying is like a set of like – and you just to use your words in your FAQ best, you say a set of modular components. It seems like you're really – like you would mentioned, you're more focused on the individualized components and how that makes up what actually is a platform as a service, much like Heroku without the um, – you know some of the pieces that have kind of upset you or didn't kind of, kind of put some blockers in, in front of you with uh, using Heroku like you wanted to before. Yeah, so it's really taking a lot of the technology that was developed in building platform services and um, making them more accessible, but then you know decoupling them so that you can use them for different things. Like container technology was really, uh, I think, developed by platform services, companies like Heroku and DocCloud. But it turns out when you break that out into a component like Docker, it's immediately useful for all kinds of other stuff that has nothing to do with running a platform service. And so there's all this great stuff in there that's useful for um, for building your systems that we want um, people to kind of you know take advantage of. So right now, just the spec is on GitHub. And I know you're past the 100% mark in terms of meeting your, your minimum funding goal. But, um, you know, we talked earlier, too, about six months, a, a certain time frame and whatnot. But when should the community begin to see a repo pop up and commits happen and, and uh, I guess, start seeing progress for uh, towards, towards what Flynn's going to be? Within the next few weeks, for sure. Um, we're currently just kind of talking through some, like, high-level stuff, just getting our bearings, and then we're going to start diving into components really soon. Talking about the Flynn spec, uh, is that written in sand or written in stone? Oh, uh, sand. That's actually just like a bunch of bullet points we put together, like even before we put the Flynn.io site together. Um, it's pretty old at this point. So when people kind of started to support this project financially, what do you think it was? Well, first of all, this we've talked about, like we said, sustainability, and we've had people talk about different, you know, uh, funding models or revenue models for open source projects, whether it's you, you know, we've talked about, we had GitHub on the show at one point, or we've had, you know, people like Sidekick, like Mike Perrin with Sidekick, where he, he releases it open source, but then builds some, you know, professional features on top of it and charges for like a monthly, um, like a monthly rate. What did drive you to kind of go with the pay, pay ahead, almost the Kickstarter-esque without the minimum goal model for Flynn? So funding open source is is a really hard problem. Um, Most projects are small, and some ask for donations, but most don't see more than $20, maybe a year or something. Um, So we looked looked to the Kickstarter model. Um, There's been a few open source projects that were funded quite successfully, and we decided that there are actually companies that were interested in funding rather than individuals. We've had lots of um, individuals uh, sponsor Flynn, but the the vast majority of the money came from corporate sponsorships, companies that want to use Flynn. Um, so that's that's what we targeted essentially. Yeah, the, I think the lowest tier was actually fifteen hundred dollars. Um, so it's very clearly targeted towards um, companies um, wanting to sponsor, and that sort of makes sure that you know our, we're solving a problem for for businesses. So all our sponsors are sort of going to be in. in be able to participate in conversations about, and I've actually been going out to a lot of uh, companies and just talking to them in person um, to to learn about their requirements and stuff like that. So I can we can kind of continue to refine um, the design of this thing and make sure that we're building something that's uh, simple but is able to satisfy all these requirements. So since we're I guess on the subject of sustaining I guess and in, in some capacity, you've got the the funding you guys requested, I guess, what's the plan in the future for, I guess, sustaining this past this point? Like, is it, is it go back to these original sponsored companies or back to the community and say, yeah, I guess, what's the plan to, I guess, sustain? Um, I mean, so we, we, uh, we could raise more sponsorship. Um, we actually have talked to a lot of companies um, much more, actually, more, uh, you know, much more in depth about the technology than some of the people that have sponsored so far. Um, that are very willing to to sponsor the, and we're about to, but we were sort of like, well, you know, we reached our goal. We'll, we'll come back to you later. Um, <laughs> but they're, they and and they were very willing to, you know, let us know. You know, they're just very excited about the project and the approach and 
and all this stuff to to be able to to help us out because they're seeing all of these problems and I'm just I'm super surprised just how many companies um, internally are sort of realizing that what they want is sort of an internal platform service um, you know. And, and again, that's sort of one of the things that differentiates us is uh, a lot of these open source platform services uh, passes are made to be run as a pass, you know, service. Um, not, you know, they've got billing and quotas and, you know, all this stuff kind of built in so that it's made for someone to kind of deploy and resell or something like that. And we expect that at some point people might add that to Flynn, but really we want to um, you know, a lot of internal use cases don't need any of that. So we're just kind of avoiding all that for Flynn. Um, and so it's kind of a different use case. Um, yeah, our target customers are the operations teams at the medium startup, medium to small size startups that that are kind of struggling with the just the amount of work that it, it takes to deploy each new application. Um, so it's a it's almost like like the the project has a different customer than the existing um, projects yeah. in the in the same space. Right. Hey, can we pause there for a second? Because uh, there's one quote, I guess, another praise for Flynn that I think needs a mention. And I guess it kind of maybe expands a little bit more on this, which is uh, from Tobias at Shopify. He said, the future of operations is to function like a product team that services the developers of the company as a client. So when you kind of flip that on its head, it's like um, you know, you're targeting towards, I guess, the Shopify's and people like that that are wanting to support you guys, but it's in an effort to help their development teams and their operations teams better interface between DevOps and, and developers. Yeah, I think, um, and, and at Twilio, that was the idea, was we wanted the platform team to basically build a self-serve platform in much the same way that so many startups use EC2, where you just have this great you know layer of abstraction, um, and they take care of, like, people kind of, you know, are, are you know arguing about the value of the cloud and, and stuff like that um, but the the stuff that they do and abstract away for you is is incredibly amazing um, and so the thing is though is that there's no kind of layer of abstraction between ec2 and a Heroku and so we kind of want to open up that spectrum um, of of you know abstractions and capabilities for operators and um, to the benefit of both operators and developers because Heroku is a great developer experience, right? So kind of talking about Heroku, you have another project called Docu that you worked on. Um, Doku, I noticed yeah. I, or Doku. I want to say Docu because of Docker, but yeah, yeah it's KK. Uh, so I noticed, I think Flynn kind of came about, what would you say, like a month ago maybe? Is that right? Yeah. And then the initial commit on Doku was two months ago. So yeah. what was the kind of, was this... Was Flynn already in mind when Doku was started, or, you know, kind of how does that relationship work out? Well, you know, like I said, I've been thinking about this for a ridiculously long time, and since even before Docker existed. And uh, I actually gave a talk with Solomon at, I think, GlueCon, and I wanted to give an example of how you could use Docker to build a platform service. And by then, Docker had been developed enough that it did actually do most of the work um, to actually make a pretty simple kind of Heroku-like service. So uh, in six hours, I was spent like the day before the talk actually building the first version of Doku. And um, the idea was that it was super simple, right, because Docker does most of the heavy lifting and trying to just like... Uh, do the simplest thing possible that works with the constraint that it's, you know, it only works on a single host, you know, it's not a distributed system. Um, but it turns out that that actually is pretty useful. A lot of people want like their own little mini Heroku. And uh, so Doku started, um, I released Doku uh, a little while after that because I had added virtual hosts because that makes it a little bit more closer to like Heroku where you have a subdomain for your app. And, um, and I just started working on that on the side for fun, and it got a lot, a lot of attention. And uh, that sort of uh, was happening separately slash in parallel to uh, talking with these guys about working on Flynn. And uh, so a lot of the same philosophies, and actually a lot of the components that we would be using for Flynn will be pulled into Doku. And, and Doku kind of um, gives us an idea of some of the components that you know we need for Flynn. For example... 
Doku uses get receive to handle um, pushing via get. And so we know that we uh, get receive is not ideal for building a distributed scalable system, um, but it solves the problem well in Doku for a single host. However, if we take that same component and re-implement it in Go um, and you know make it a little bit more general and, and fitting for a, for a distributed environment, um, it's more or less the same component but works for Flynn, and then we can run it on a single host and it works for Doku. So Doku for me is just is going to continue to be a single host, more or less like a single host distribution of Flynn, um, and so for me it's kind of a prototyping ground for ideas for Flynn. Um, but yeah, it's kind of different different goals, single host. Gotcha. So this, this is going to be uh, kind of, I don't know, maybe like supercharged version of Doku or, or the the Doku++? plus <laughs> plus. Yeah, actually, and the readme for Doku, I, I sort of, when I was telling, explaining what it's not, you know, it's not multi-host, it's, you know, not made for a multi-tenancy sort of thing. It's, it's uh I said maybe those are features for Super Doku, and then um, it just so happened that uh, Flynn is more or less what Super Doku would have been. There's actually some other great projects um, built around Docker, and it's on Hacker News today. Somebody told me um, Dias, which I actually saw quite a bit before because they're sort of in the Docker community. Um, they're released, and so they're another platform service um, built on Docker, um, and. Already, we're sharing components. Like I wrote for for build step for uh, for Doku, and we'll use it for Flynn. Is this um, piece called Build Step, which is maybe more accurately something like Heroku Stack, because it's basically a builder and runner for Heroku build packs in Docker, and so they're using that for for their platform service, and I'm using it for Doku, and we'll be using it for Flynn. Can I ask so, maybe a not so much a I guess uh, I'm not really sure how this question will be sounding. I guess, but you say things like uh, in the areas of, uh, I guess, for Doku, ideas for improvements where you say Heroku-ish commands. I mean, I know Heroku is a for-profit company and they're doing some awesome stuff in open source too, but does any of this cross lines? Does anybody call you and be like, hey, stop doing what you're doing? We don't really want to support that because maybe Heroku wants to protect their, their market share. Well, I've been friends with a lot of the Heroku uh, engineers um, for a while, and, and I use them. So, you know, I'm sort of a power user, so I go to their offices fairly frequently when I do stuff. Like, um, I made a I made a web service that you actually put on App Engine that lets you register new Heroku accounts because I was working on a project that needed to let you create like infinite number of apps. So I needed to be able to create you know a bunch of user accounts and. Uh, I do stuff like that, or one, one time I made a, a script that uses um, Heroku's ability to run arbitrary commands with their run uh, with their run command, and use that to deploy uh, something to itself, so it could kind of self-deploy. I'm doing just all these weird things with Heroku, and so very often they'll kind of like pull me in and, and want to talk about it or see what's going on. I've actually been, you know, a lot of the times there will be like product uh, development discussions like, you know, you're trying to do this, so, you know, how, how does this sound, you know, and we actually have these kind of useful conversations, but um, I've heard, though, that some people in Heroku, who's pretty big, are sort of like, um, are are very kind of curious about uh, some of the stuff that I'm doing, but the majority of them actually don't know, hmm. so. I think it's possible, potentially, I, I know this is just being hypothetical, of course, but um, maybe that Heroku will be like, oh man, I, I love what you guys are doing with Flynn. We'll acquire you. I, I know you're not really a company yet, but like, you the know, thing bring to you remember is that and support it. Is that Flynn is um, is targeted to run internally? So Heroku is kind of this this service that you pay for and runs on right. EC2, and you have no control over. Whereas we're targeting Flynn at companies that need to run something internally for whatever reason. There's a variety of reasons, from security and control to you know just um, like latency reasons, not Heroku's not in a data center that they want to be in, et cetera. So we're we're making Flynn for essentially the people that don't use Heroku or can't use Heroku for whatever reason. They're adjacent; they're not in direct competition. I don't think it's actually the same story as OpenStack, because um, OpenStack came from NASA and it 
basically our group of people, uh, like a ragtag team, we're trying to like make NASA cool again. We're doing all these kind of neat web apps for uh, missions to have um, more participatory kind of um, citizen science sides to them. And we want so we kept thinking, well, we want that we want more people to do this in NASA. So it'd be great if we had a platform for them to do this or even just use existing stuff like App Engine. The problem is it's government stuff, and the government requires you to yeah. uh, to use your own, you know, they have to use their own hardware. And so that basically forced us, if we wanted to do this cool stuff, into building more or less our own EC2. And that's sort of where um, Nova came from, from in OpenStack. That's, I guess it's no different than saying, you know, GitHub Enterprise versus GitHub. Uh, GitHub is not going to, they're not competing. They're, they're different markets. I, mm-hmm. I get it now. Yeah. So when the Flynn.io launched, um, it said that the minimal viable product would be ready in two to three months. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, but when can we expect uh, an MVP for Flynn? This fall. Cool. Yeah. And then so once that comes out, are you going to give a lot of time for feedback or is you just plowing right through towards the, the uh, production version? We definitely uh, uh, love feedback, and we get a lot of feedback already just kind of architecturally in the approach from from the various companies that we talk to and are sponsoring. Um, but we definitely have kind of a set and actually a f- kind of more f- philosophy behind a lot of this. And so we're, at, we're trying to, in the process of documenting sort of our, um, you know, the philosophies on, on the decisions that we make, you know, about all this kind of componentized philosophy and as well as a set of sort of like technical guidelines that we're going by. And once we publish those, then um, hopefully it'll make um, suggestions and stuff like that a lot more productive because we can easily say, well, we're not, we can't do that because, you know, we've decided philosophically that that's, you know, not, not for us. Um, Now the cool thing is, is that, you know, if people don't like the main Flynn distribution, how we're organizing things, hopefully that, a lot of the components can be used for for them to sort of remix it into something that you know is more what they need. Gotcha. I think it's like f- interesting, almost funny that just the spec, which is like this one little readme of you said just bullet points, has like five hundred and twenty stars and nine forks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, do you get? I don't know. I, I don't see any, but do you get like? Do people take this and say, "Here, here's a, you know, I see this as one of the general features, but you should change it to that, or, or why are they forking this? Um, there's people who have, who have opened issues. I don't, I haven't seen any pull requests yet. That would be entertaining. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cool. Well, it's a definitely a product that we will be keeping our eyes on because this is something that, um, you know, I, we talk about a lot that we have like, well, you know, for instance, we have preprocessors, we have SAS, right, which, like, boils down to, you know, a cool way to do CSS or a powerful way to do CSS. And, and at some point you think, um, you know, you, the levels of abstraction will seem to stop. But, I don't know, Flynn just, it, it gives you another use case of a higher level abstraction to, you know, one step further than Docker. And I think that maybe this is where it stops at, but it's, a, it's an exciting, interesting product that we will be watching for sure. Me too. <laughs> hey, well, hopefully you're watching it. The uh, so if you're so if you're new to the uh, new to the change log, then we just want to let you know that we ask these three questions, and seeing as we have uh, two guys on the show with us this time, we'll give a little extra time. But we ask three questions every week to our uh, guests, and so we'll go ahead. The first question, and I'll ask you, Jeff, is um, for a call to arms. For Flynn, as obviously right now Flynn is not in, um, you know, uh, it's not on GitHub, so it's not necessarily something that the community can actually contribute code to. But what would you like to see people or your sponsors or anybody kind of do Flynn related right now? Um, well, I. So there is Doku, which is sort of a, in, in a sense, kind of a, you know, it's a very different project, but. Um, there's still a lot of the same philosophy behind it. So if you're interested in this sort of thing, definitely check out Doku and, and play with it. And uh, definitely, I think preparing people, because everybody should be able to to take advantage of this um, uh, Flynn. And so it'd be great to have uh, more people 
involved in contributing. And so one of our um, one of our sort of technical guidelines is to most of our components are written in Go for various reasons that we'll we'll document. So um, and Docker itself is written in Go. And so if you need an excuse to learn Go and you want to participate in this grand vision of Flynn, um, definitely uh, take advantage of it and start playing with Go. And some of the components that we already have out there are, are, are you know, open source, and you can start playing with them and, and, and learning Go, but Go is really awesome. So um, maybe that can be my call to arms. Yeah, talking about Go, we're actually going to have Andrew from Google on next week to talk about Go. So it should be a pretty fun show. What about you, Jonathan? Um, I'd say uh, pretty much the same as Jeff for Flynn. Uh, also, uh, Tent, uh, if you um, take a look at the protocol docs and find it interesting, lo- always love to see new like applications being built, and we're, we're always around in IRC to answer questions, etc. So um, have a look at Tent and um, start thinking about what you can build when your communications platform is decentralized instead of centralized. And you have a nice platform like Flynn to build those on. Yeah. Um, kind of a new question that we've been asking, uh, and I'll ask you first, Jonathan. If you weren't doing this, now this is pretty new, so this might be meaningless to you, but what, what would you be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing right now? If I wasn't doing open source, I would probably be a film editor. I actually went to school for a few years um, for filmmaking and TV broadcasting, that kind of thing. So I like that stuff, too. Gotcha. What about you, Progrium? I have I struggle with this this idea that I have too many interests. Uh, one of them is film, <laughs> so uh, I, I'd love to start doing film. But I sort of prioritize based on how well it fits into my lifestyle. So um, outside of programming stuff, I do a lot of music stuff, and I'm trying to make more time like producing music. I actually do like um, metal and hard rock and stuff like that, and. Um, but otherwise, I'm I'm really into indie games. Um, but I can't do indie games right now because it's just more programming. <laughs> so I don't want to like spend my time not programming, programming. Gotcha. Yeah, one of our uh, one of our friends of the show that we have on the show a lot, Kenneth Wrights. He's uh he is also into music. It seems like that's a kind of a popular trend right now is for uh, developers <laughs> who are who kind of do some release on the side with music, which is kind of a neat little you know thing that's going on. Yeah, I told Kenneth we should start a band. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I want to give you a chance to kind of give us a uh, a shout out to someone personal or or somebody that you look up to. So we call it the programming hero on the changelog. So who is your programming hero, Jeff? Um, I have a a ton, but if I were to pick one to give a shout out to right now, it'd probably be uh, Brett Victor. Um, so I met him recently, and he gave he's given a, a lot of amazing talks and is is doing a lot of really amazing work. And um, he's he definitely falls into the realm of the type of person that inspires me. So shout out to Brett Victor. Gotcha. And what about you, Jonathan? Um, I have to pick one. Uh, shout out to Rob Pike, uh, co-creator of the Go programming language, and uh, he made UTF-8, which is also a really nifty encoding thing mm-hmm. that everyone uses. Um, I'm a huge fan of his no-nonsense uh, design aesthetic for the software that he makes, and uh, his one-liners on mailing lists are hilarious. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, funny story, Go is really, you know, like 20 years old, because he wrote a language called NewSqueak that is basically Go with kind of a more Fortran-looking syntax. You can look up a Google Tech Talk on him talking about concurrency. It's actually, he shows NewSqueak, and pretty much everything in it is the exact same thing in Go. Yeah, he's been contributing to the uh, to the community for quite some time. I think he was one of the designers on Limbo. That's right, too. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, he's, he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, cool guy. Yeah, it's kind of a huge throwback to our early days, but Rob Pike was on the show on episode number two, so we... Whoa. Oh, yeah, I, I heard that. Yeah. That was like uh, the super early days, I guess. Not really uh, early days of Go, because you, know, you just mentioned what you mentioned, so... Not really early, but it was like around the same time of the release of of Go as it is now. Yeah, he's a he's a good example of a programmer that works with um, sort of great sort of philosophy behind his work. Yeah. Um, so. Well, cool. Yeah, I know we can certainly go on for quite a while talking about this. A lot of fun conversations and topics. We can 
certainly dive deep into, but we do have to wrap. We try to keep this show to around an hour, so sometimes we go over, sometimes we're a little under, but either way, um, I do want to mention two things before we do go. So uh, we're just launching an every Thursday newsletter from the Changelog, so if you want to sign up, you can go to thechangelog.com slash newsletter. Uh, every Thursday in your inbox, you'll get the latest from the Changelog. We're also ramping up um, our contributors as well, so expect more on the blog. Uh, we do have our t-shirt in, so you can hack and style with your very own Changelog t-shirt. You can go to thechangelog.com slash store as well. So if you don't have that t-shirt, you are wrong. But uh, Jeff, Jonathan, thank you so much for the awesome work you're doing in open source and taking the time to come talk about it on this show today. Uh, let's say goodbye. Thank you. It's great being here. See y'all later. See ya.